I've had a principle for 60 years. I wrote about it in my new book, The Price of Principle, and that is if there's a dispute and one side wants the truth to come out and the other side says, no, we don't want the truth to come out, always believe the person who wants the truth to come out. That's the person who's telling the truth. And so the Trump people want the affidavit to be released. The Justice Department doesn't. The question is, will the affidavit be released? Is the DOJ really willing to give up on the idea that the affidavit going public won't simply thwart, if not end, uh, their investigation and possible indictments, as Rich Lowry of National Review was discussing, of President Trump? Indicted on what? This I don't know. Should he be? It doesn't seem clear to me. We have questions going back to the warrants itself and how broad it is. The voice you heard is that of Alan Dershowitz. Me, I'm Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Alan Dershowitz joins us right now. His latest book, The Price of Principle, Why Integrity is Worth the Consequences, that is available at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are sold. A number one bestseller right now in media and the law over at Amazon. I, I want to get into the to the affidavit with you, sir, but I want to start with a conversation I've been having, uh, we've been having here regarding the Fourth Amendment. When the Fourth Amendment states that you should not only address the place to be searched, but the items to be seized, and you see a warrant uh, that looks as incredibly broad as it does to an outsider, to a non-legal mind, and engages the idea of fruits of crime, in your view, was the warrant too broad, and is there a case to be brought that maybe it should never have been uh, offered up or allowed? I think it was too broad. I think there were two cases to be offered up, one based on the face of the warrant itself, which doesn't seem to comply with the specificity requirements of the Fourth Amendment, and second, whether or not the affidavit really justified it. I'll give you an example. They went into a safe. Now, to go into a safe, you need a special warrant. You can't just say, I want to go into a safe. A safe is a place of great privacy. And so the affidavit would have to say with specificity what was in that safe. They can't just say, we want to go into a safe because there's a safe in the office. And, of course, following Geraldo Rivera and the uh, uh, infamous uh, uh, Al Capone <laughs> fiasco, um, the, uh, there was nothing in the safe. So we have a right to know whether or not the affidavit specified what they expected to find in the safe. Now, we are not sure that we're going to see this affidavit. We have a judge that's we, going we, to be... We're going to see uh, this affidavit. You believe we will? Absolutely. The question is when, and the question is how much. Uh, there's no way in the United States of America that a document as important as this gets suppressed. Um, the, the way the judge ought to handle it is this. He ought to say, look... The presumption in America is in favor of transparency. So I'm releasing the entire affidavit unless the government can show me, and they have the burden of proof, that specific names, specific acts, specific events are necessary to keep secret for protecting of witnesses, for keeping the investigation going. But the presumption should be that everything comes out. I'll give you an example. I was told of the lawyers in the Pentagon Papers case. Remember that case? Long, long time ago. Touch before back. my time, but I, okay. I'm a guy who reads, so I'm good. Yeah, okay. Pentagon Papers case. The Solicitor General of the United States, the former dean of the Harvard Law School, a friend of mine, uh, got up in front of the Supreme Court and said, if you allow the Pentagon Papers to go down, they're, they're, go out, there are such secrets 
that the United States government will never survive, essentially. And, of course, the court ruled that the Pentagon Papers could come out. They came out. Nothing happened. Everything it just wasn't true. I don't think the Solicitor General lied. I think he was just told by the security people, you got to keep it secret. The government always wants to keep things secret, and the media and the First Amendment want things to be made public. And I think in America, you have to err on the side of making things public. Talking to Alan Dershowitz, New York Times bestselling author and lawyer. Of course, as you know, the latest book, The Price of Principle, Why Integrity is Worth the Consequences. On this subject, one of the things that has been discussed is the emails of Hillary Clinton. You were on with, with our friend Leland Vittert on News Nation yeah. just the other day having uh, this conversation. And your exact quote is, I think what we're seeing here is a misapplication of the principles of equality. Two wrongs don't make a right. But if you have two wrongs and they're treated differently, that's a third wrong. So in right. your conversation, not only with Leland, but this comes from a Wall Street Journal uh, op-ed that, that you wrote, what is it about Hillary's emails, the server, the secret server that she had in the bathroom, that parallels to this Trump investigation, I guess we'll call it an investigation, as you see it? Well, in both cases, there was mishandling of classified material. The head of the FBI got out and made a statement, Comey saying that it was wrong, but that uh, uh, it would not be prosecuted because she was merely negligent. Uh, that seems to be what's going on with Trump, too. Nobody is really saying maybe they will, but nobody is saying at the moment that he did what Sandy Berger did, that he deliberately slipped things into his sock and his underwear. Um, you know, it, when you leave the White House, especially under these circumstances on 2000, January 20th, 2021, when you still say you're president, and you're fighting like hell to promote that, in my view, falsehood, that you're still president, you're going to be pretty busy. And he didn't pack the boxes, and he didn't put them down. And so I think the worst-case scenario will be negligence. And if negligence wasn't enough to prosecute Hillary Clinton, the burden of proof, again, is on the government or on, Car on, on Garland to explain the difference, why a search warrant a broad search warrant in this case. Why a search of his wife's um, closet? Why the safe? Uh, when in the Burger case and in the Clinton case, the searches were narrower. The the uh, application of law was narrower. And so, you know, this this the argument I wrote in the Wall Street Journal is, you know, about what aboutism. You know, always when people complain about somebody being prosecuted, they say, yeah, but so and so wasn't prosecuted. And that's become known as the what about, what about Clinton, what about Berger argument. It's a good argument in a democracy because you want equal protection of the law. Even Garland said even-handedness is the essence of the Justice Department. And so what about Clinton? What about Berger? Those are good questions. When you talk about the what about is and you talk about uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland talking about the equality conversation, uh, are you left to wonder why he – is okay with this warrant. He made sure to go out of his way to talk about personally overseeing and personally approving right. the warrant. You think he personally approved this warrant, and how much do you think he regrets it? Well, I think he personally approved it. I doubt that he regrets it. He may. Uh, I think he opened up an enormous can of worms, and he better be able to support it. Uh, that's why it's so important to get the affidavit out there to see whether the affidavit actually supports it. I don't see the case for a search warrant. They had a subpoena out. They were negotiating about the subpoena. If they weren't satisfied with the negotiations, just go to court and you enforce the subpoena. The judge orders 
the president to produce the 12 boxes by tomorrow morning. And then he goes through them and sees what's privileged, what's not privileged. That's the way it should have been done. That's the way it's usually done. And I'm afraid about a double standard. When you think about how people like Manafort and Peter Navarro and and others were arrested and handled, that's not the way people generally are treated in white-collar crimes. When my clients are indicted, I'll get a phone call from the Justice Department saying, your client's been indicted. Would you bring him in tomorrow for arraignment? And I say, no, I'm a little busy tomorrow. All right, we'll do it the next day or the day after, and we'll put him on bail, and we'll have a trial. He's presumed innocent. That's the way it normally works. You don't go to airports and shackle somebody in front of their family. Talking to Alan Dershowitz. The book, The Price of Principle, Why Integrity is Worth the Consequences. You can get that at Amazon.com, wherever fine books are, are sold. This this idea of, of principle is something that we discuss here. I, I discuss on the show, but I've been discussing it a little bit differently, and I've been discussing the total lack of faith in the institutions. It is difficult yeah. to have faith in the FBI when you go from the Russia, Russia, Russia story to this. It's very difficult to have faith in the CDC when it seems rather obvious that their moves were not science moves, but were political moves. And when you see the, the, the lengths to which uh, groups like the American Federation of Teachers had in in changing policy or moving policy or writing policy regarding the DOJ. The principal conversation matters. And the argument I make is that it's not us so much that has changed. It's that the institutions have failed us. So there's a question of how do they build back the trust? But maybe the first question is, what are the principles that need to be reinstituted? What do you believe uh, that that's that's missing? And what exactly should be the price? Well, in, in my book, I set out a series of principles that have dominated my life, free speech for everyone, due process for everyone, equality for everyone, and, and courage. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you a story that stimulated me to write the book. I was sitting next to, this is a name-dropping story, sitting next to Caroline Kennedy, the daughter of President Kennedy, the man who wrote the book Profiles of Courage. And she, she comes up to me and she says, if I knew you had been invited to this dinner party, I wouldn't have come. Um, essentially saying, I will never come to a dinner party that you've been invited to. And that lack of principle, that idea that you won't be in the same room with somebody who defended the president of the United States on the Senate by an ambassador, a woman who's now the ambassador to Australia and who has to talk to the head of China and the head of North Korea, but she can't be in the same room with somebody who she disagrees with over whether or not President um, uh, Trump should have been impeached. It's not even the disagreement about whether he should be impeached. Should he get a defense attorney defending him against what I believe was an unconstitutional impeachment? Now, I don't care about parties and dinner parties, but, you know, the library in my town of Chilmark, where I live every summer for 53 years, they have refused to allow me to speak. Every year they invited me to speak to overthrow crowds, and they have refused to carry my books until until I pressure them and threaten to sue them. But once I defended President Trump, they stopped getting my books. That's the kind of McCarthyism that was seen from the hard left. And it's inexcusable. And it's just reminiscent of original McCarthyism, which I grew up with. I knew it. I saw it with my own eyes. 
It's uh, Noah Rothman over at Commentary Magazine who has a, a book out about the New Puritans. And, and, and what you see from uh, the, the left is, is this almost religious or religiosity, uh, this, this cult-like obsession with putting their politics into everything. And anything that doesn't have their politics must therefore be wrong. And you have to carry this with you. So when, when you talk about principle and you talk about Caroline Kennedy, I mean, uh, it's a very telling story. The story is about what the, the burden she has to carry with her to know of every wrong that everybody has done, as opposed to disagreeing with somebody, uh, but still recognizing that even the president of the United States, Donald Trump at the time, gets representation. Well, and you know, look, her father was not without sin. Uh, John Kennedy's private life uh, was one of the most scandalous in the history of America. Um, and uh, obviously, she supports him. Uh, there are no perfect people. Abraham Lincoln uh, had some racist uh, tendencies. Thomas Jefferson had, had slaves. Uh, but, you know, the idea that you would have no social contact with somebody because they defended the president and the floor of the Senate, that could only happen on the hard left today. And you're right. I think it's in many ways worse than the new Puritanism because Puritans at least tolerated some dissent. Now, obviously, they, they, they hung witches but, uh, and did some terrible, terrible things. But they did it because they believed it was commanded by God. The left doesn't do that. They think it's commanded by political correctness. Well, just because you call it something different doesn't mean that they aren't engaged in their own level of, of, of idol worship. Before I let you yeah. go, sir, Alan Dershowitz, uh, telling Newsmax arresting Trump won't keep him out of the 2024 race. You're doing a little prognosticating here? Yes, I, I am. Um, I think it's very possible he may get indicted. If it's in the District of Columbia, he will probably be convicted. and It'll probably be reversed on appeal. But uh, at the time he announces for president... He may well be under indictment or even convicted, but that won't stop him and shouldn't stop him from running for president. To run for president, you need to satisfy only three, four criteria, which he satisfied. Over 35, one in America, didn't fight in the Civil War against the Union, and wasn't convicted on impeachment with the rider that he can't ever run for office again. So Congress can't add to that, and can't you can't make up rules about who can run for president. He can run for president. If he were in jail wearing a striped uniform, he could still run for president. Mayor Curley ran for mayor of uh, Boston while in prison. Uh, if that's not going to happen, but uh, the efforts to try to get him disqualified. Look, I want to make sure he's not disqualified because I have the right to vote against him for the third time. I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm a liberal Democrat. I just put my commitment to the Constitution, my principled commitment to the Constitution, over any partisanship, and that's why I wrote the book, The Price of Principle, and it's a heavy price. Mostly my family has been paying for it. They have canceled my wife, who didn't even support my defending of President Trump, my children, my grandchildren, all my relatives have been uh, canceled. It just is the same old McCarthyism, this time from the left. While you're prognosticating, uh, 10 seconds or less, or, or, or less, will we see an indictment of President Trump from Merrick Garland? I don't. I don't think so. I think Garland is too smart. Unless there's a smoking gun, unless there's Nixon-type crimes, I don't think it's going to happen based on a mishandling of classified information. He is the pride of Brooklyn College, everybody.
Alan Dershowitz, remember, B is for the buh in Brooklyn College. The book, The Price of Principle, Why Integrity is Worth the Consequences, that is actually the school song. It's quite incredible. My father went to Brooklyn College. Alan Dershowitz, The Price of Principle, Why Integrity is Worth the Consequences, always a pleasure, sir. I appreciate you being with us. Hope we get to do it again. Alan Dershowitz, thank you. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz.